I'm Chelsea Parker. I'm a freelance fiddle player, and this is The Jay Franzi Show. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show, a behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I am Jay Franzi, and if you are new here, this is where we take a deep dive into the entertainment industry to provide you with valuable insights and entertaining stories. This week, we get to talk with a singer, songwriter, and recording artist. We get to talk with Chad Wilson. We'll talk about how he got a start in songwriting, what it's like to be an award-winning artist, and we'll take a deep dive into his hit single, The Devil. Now, I moved to Nashville 25-plus years ago, and I've been working in the industry ever since, and Chad was one of the first artists I had a chance to work with, so I'm excited today to talk to him and see how his career has grown since then. So if you'd like to join in, comment, or fire off any questions, please head over to jfranzi.com. Now let's get started. Chad, sir, how are you? Jay, how you doing, buddy? You know what? I am doing fabulous, sir. It's been a little while. Since we've last spoke, you seem to have been winning some awards. What's it like to be an award winner? It's incredible, man. To be to be recognized for anything special. To be recognized for back-to-back years, me and my brother were best duo or group of the year. And of course I left one out on my own. And this past year I won the 2022 JMA country male vocalist of the year. That was unbelievable. That's awesome. Tell me how it felt. You know, I was, I, I see video now of me walking up and giving a speech. And I don't even remember that. I was so, <laughs> so nervous when I called my name. It was very special. I had a lot of people there that night. So it was, it was a very special moment. That's pretty cool. Well, let's just take a a quick step back. I've met you songwriting. We've worked in the studio together quite a bit. When was it that you knew you wanted to be a songwriter? Well, our story goes back to, you know, our roots are in gospel music. We grew up with our parents were singers. Mom played the piano. That's where I learned how to play the piano. Our grandparents were pretty well known, the Johnson Quartet. So, Anytime there was a singing, which was every week, two or three times a week, or in church, we were there every time the doors were open. But I didn't write my first song until I was 15 years old. What most guys 15 years old would write a song about was about a girl. That, that broke my heart. But I knew early on I wanted to be a writer. I, for two years, we lived in Missouri. I went to a small school in Missouri. In the third grade, I entered a a school-wide writing competition, and I ended up winning it. And I knew then that I just love writing. I love words, you know. I didn't put that in music together until I was 15. I moved to Nashville, and I had written probably over a 1,000 songs and spent many a night, you know, burning the pavement before I was able to get that first good one. But when you get that first good one, it's it's all worth it, you know. Can you tell me what that process is like for you? Yeah, you know, it's different every time with different people. I, I write a lot. With, I get a lot of friends that I, I love writing with. and Everybody's different. This past year, I was able to write with my hero several times. 
a guy named Anthony Smith, written lots of hits. I always, always thought Anthony was one of the best songwriters there is. So getting to write with him was special, but his writing style is so, so unique. You know, I particularly write toward a hook, what we call a hook, and that's typically the name of the song is what the song's about. And that's 90% of the time, that's what, uh, that's how I write music. But with Anthony, the day we wrote with him, the way he does it is he writes one line and he lets the next line be dictated by that line. So you sort of don't know where you're going with it. And it's such a different style for me, but, uh, but to watch it come together is pretty crazy. And then there's been times I've had songs come to me in the middle of the night. I'd wake up from a, from a dead sleep. Alabama Will, for instance, got up in the middle of the night, went into the writing room, wrote it down word for word, for most of it, went back to bed, stuff like that. Just, you know, I don't even think that's me. I, sometimes I feel like I'm a channel, you know. It's, it's just got to come out. But every situation is different, you know. I think chemistry is number one thing. If you have good chemistry with who you're writing with, then it's easy to write. Let's step back for a minute because what you just said is kind of – different to me. I've never heard anybody do one line is dictated by the previous line. So did that present any challenges to you? Oh, tremendously. Yes. Major challenges. I, I felt so insignificant that right that day. I'm like, I, I can't contribute to this. I don't even know how to do this, you know, but it ended up being a great song. Matter of fact, it's a song that we recorded on the record, but you know, I guess everybody sort of has their way to do it. I learned a lot from Chris Rowe. My style of writing, Chris Rowe was very instrumental in helping me develop who I who I eventually came to be as a writer. Blue Foley taught me a lot. But I learned a lot from Anthony too. And that and what I learned from Anthony is is sometimes it's better just to not have a direction and let you know, let a collective thoughts get you to where you need to go. That can be challenging. You say Songs are channeled. Sometimes you get up and you feel that energy and you go into a room and you you write it all down. When you're sitting down to write a song versus being woken up in the middle of the night, what inspires you to do so? Gosh, I'm, I'm, I love life. I love living. You know, I love people. So being that some of my best friends are songwriters, I get to hang out with my best friends and write music. So it don't take much to, to, to get me inspired to write music. That's what I love to do. But, you know, uh, I recently had a had a guy come to me right after Christmas, or maybe it was right before Christmas or right after Christmas, I can't remember. Uh, just, you know, a stranger just found me out of the blue, a guy wanting to cut a record and needing help writing it. He's never recorded before, never written a song before. So that was a challenge in itself because I've never been a good teacher. I don't have the patience to be a teacher. So the challenge that I had with that particular situation is how do I explain all this to somebody that's never written before that wants to write on a certain level? And, and uh, those challenges that that presented was my inspiration for that because you know, we're men. As men and men, we, when we have these challenges, we like to prove, prove to ourselves that we can overcome them. I think we did quite well. We're almost done with that record, by the way, uh, for him, and he's going to be recording it pretty soon. I couldn't be, I couldn't be more excited about it. That's awesome. How much input have you had on his record? 
uh, a lot. Uh, I've probably written probably half of it at least, maybe. But but that's with him too, though. You know, it's we've been writing for a couple months now, so so I don't know what his final track track listing is going to be. But I know there's at least three, four, maybe five songs on there that, that that I've written. A couple of them are, are I feel really good about. And what do you hope the listeners take away from it? I didn't realize this until the second time that we we had a meeting when we met for the second time. So it was a gospel record that he wanted to write. Being that my roots are in gospel, that wasn't a stretch for me. But I've never been asked to do that before. So so I was excited, but I was also I didn't know if I could if I was up to it. You know, I've I've only written one or two gospel songs in the past, so I didn't know if I could how I'd go about that, but it's it's it, it all finds its way somehow or another. And like I said, we got a couple of great, great songs out of it, I think. Well, let's talk about your album for a minute. Tell me about your, your upcoming release. Yeah. It's called This Side of a Song. We've been working on it now for a lot longer than what you're supposed to be working on record. We've recorded in many studios, a couple of different producers. And all this was by, not by choice, obviously, but by circumstance. But we finally, I finally finished recording the vocals and everything on it just this past week. We got a few things to do before it gets ready to go out to the public, but the album's called This Side of a Song, and uh, that's the title track. The song itself, This Side of a Song, is a song about a career in music from, from sort of what we see as an entertainer, as, a, as an artist, you know, playing little clubs and in particular, it's about a guy playing the same bar every weekend. Now he gets to see with Jeannie's, you know, heartbreaking. She's back there crying because what's her name left her. And Charlie's over here causing trouble, you know, just different situations and scenarios that, that we see when we're up there that we don't necessarily get to talk about a lot. So it's really, really special to me because I've, I've lived that song a lot, but what I'm most excited about on this record is just some of the co-writers that I've, I've I get to share my name besides, you know, Eric Dillon, hit songwriter. Dan Smalley, one of the best artists in Nashville, in my opinion. My buddy Lance Dubrock from Louisiana. Uh, he's got a couple of songs in there with me. Anthony Smith. Gosh, there's, there's many more. Some of these songs come out of some of these songwriter retreats that, I, that I'm so fortunate to be asked to go on a lot. In particular, a couple of years ago, I was on one in Montana, Whitefish, Montana, and wrote a handful of songs with Barrett Baber, Trick Savage, some other Grammy-nominated songwriters. And I think all three of those songs that I wrote on that retreat made this record. So did you finish all of the songwriting before you started assembling the process? We started with 10 songs that we thought was going to make a great record. I didn't write this side of the song until about six months ago. So we had no idea that that was even going to be the title track um, until, until it was written and it turned out you know, better than we expected. So we just decided to use it. But uh, the 10 songs that we started with and the 12 that we ended up with, completely different. Maybe four or five of them is the same. So how does that happen? I mean, obviously you're the songwriter, you're putting it together. So during the production process, who's producing it? I'm co-producing it. Lie Like You Love Me was the first single off this record. But that came out a year ago. And the reason that 
I didn't finish that song theirs because COVID had hit. My producer at the time, a friend of mine, Aaron Rogers, got sick with COVID. Uh, it kept him out of it so long that he ended up having to close the studio down. You know, he was out, he was in the hospital for several months. Wow. Obviously, you know, that sort of put a a halt on everything that we had going. So, and Aaron's still a big part of it, but at one point we just decided that in order to move forward, it might be, you know, best if he's just on a maybe consultation kind of role as opposed to being the producer. So, so I went to Eric Torres after that, and Eric Torres helped produce The Devil. And once again, Eric's got number one's accreditation, Jimmy, Jimmy Allen, several other people. So watching him work on my music was pretty special. I finished the record up at Red 3. Producer Nick Sturms uh, is co-producing probably six or eight tracks with me. And then the other two or three songs were cut for the Wilson Brothers record that never got released at Fame Studios than in most shows. So you're the glue. You're the person, the co-producer that's tying this all together. I mean, even from the songwriting, is it your responsibility to pick out the musicians that play on the album? It is. So what was that process like for you? To me, that wasn't really a challenge. I, I, I know so many. I've worked with, with so many. And each producer that helps me, they have their own group of people as well. I brought in Gabe Baker on The Devil to do cello, and he's a phenomenal artist himself. I met Gabe at a writing retreat maybe two years ago and instantly knew that I had to have that guy in my life. He's just a true true blessing to be a friend. But I brought him in to do cello on The Devil. I had my, my band come in and do the first three or four tracks, uh, Harder Than It Has To Be, I think uh, oh, there's a couple more on there that you know I had my my own band do, but you know if I don't know somebody personally, then I know somebody that does. And unfortunately for me, my bass player at the time, AD, knew of the guy that led the choir, and when I reached out to him needing a choir, he knew exactly who to call. And did they not kill that or what? Was it good? Girl? You mentioned something there that we, we talk about a little bit, and that's you brought your, your band in. Most people in Nashville specifically, they separate the live musicians from the studio musicians. So did you purposely bring your band in with the intent to bring them into the studio? No. I brought them in because they're just that talented. I've been fortunate to work with some great musicians, you know, and my last band was no, no different. COVID had hit. Everybody needed work. Our whole schedule got canceled that March of 2020. None of us knew where we was going to be tomorrow, what we was going to be doing. So any opportunity I got to, to bring my guys in and get money in their pocket, obviously, and they helped me out tremendously as well. But they were that talented. And they still friends with everybody, but COVID, you know, sort of ended the band stuff. It's just now starting to get back up. I didn't tour with a band this past year at all. Wow. So... They've went on now to to get roles in bigger, better artist bands. Well, I say better, but <laughs> bigger, bigger artists. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell us who some of those musicians were? Raymond on the drums, Josh Raymond. He's a he's a superstar. He's out with he's out with uh, maybe Kylie Morgan right now. 
with maybe somebody in that camp. But, but Josh Raymond is a beast. He's from Boston. All these are young cats, too. Uh, Darius A.D. Stewart, he was the bass player. He's now playing with uh, another great artist. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't think of his name. And then you got Aaron Rodgers, who was on guitar and helped produce the three or four tracks that we cut with a band. Phenomenal guitar player. I mean, I think he's got a Grammy because of that. He's got a Grammy Award. Very talented guys. And Jonathan Smith on piano, Virginia. Uh, we call him Preacher Man. You can find him playing with a, at the Bourbon Street Blues and Boogie Bar. You know, he brings that soul to it. And, you know, I'm just trying to call it out my little place in, in country music. Ain't, ain't nothing wrong with a little soul. And so I bring a little soul to it. But, but I get that so easily with the help of, of, of these guys. They're so talented. What's the difference for you when you're recording in Nashville versus, say, Alabama? Hmm. I don't, I don't, I think who you work for or who you're working with uh, is, to me, the biggest difference. Uh, but as far as being behind a microphone, I mean, it's something to be standing on behind the microphone of fame studios, you know, looking out over the big room, knowing that so much magic has taken place in this place. And you just feel this thing that just runs through your body and you're, we're so grateful to be there. And then I got to record at Blackbird Studios, you know. John McBride. Yep. And, of course, I, I worked with Chris a lot at, uh, at the Love Shack for a while. So every studio has its own vibe, its own what it puts off. So I just try to absorb all that and try to at least give it back just as much, if not more. That's, to me, would be the answer to that question. What's different would be the character of the studio, the vibe it gives off. Yeah, no, I've worked in, you know, countless studios over the past 30 years, and I grew up in the Northeast, so Boston, New York. Had a chance to do some work down in Florida, but I've never had a chance to record in Alabama or even Memphis or any of those iconic studios. But I have spent the majority of my time in Nashville, and Nashville has a very a very strict way of doing things. They operate with the union. Their studios are open standard hours. You go in there and everything is done on a clock. And when I was up in New York, it was the exact opposite. We didn't even go in the studio till 10 o'clock at night. And it was more of being a relaxed setting. There was no structure to it. So I was just wondering where on the scale a place like Alabama or Memphis would fit into that. Well, both of your scenarios I, I went through on this record. The recording that we did at Fame was a scheduled three days. You know, we, we had this, we had the studio at certain times from the morning to the afternoon or, or evening or whatever the times were. And we had a strict sort of a strict schedule that we had to stick to. Uh, but when I cut the songs that I used my band on and with Aaron producing, we didn't start until 10, 11 o'clock at night. We'd record all night long. So there's many nights we didn't go to sleep. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, I know from uh, from the producer and engineer side of the world, the structure is fantastic. We go in, we set up at a certain time, we record, we press the big red button at a particular time of the day, and everything is done, you know, in, in fashion. However, on the creative side, and I'd like you to shine more light on it, 
it has to feel better to take your time and to have that the vibe, that relaxed environment. It's very important to be relaxed. You know, I think, yes, Nashville is very structured. And I never let that take away the creativity or, in my case, what I would do is I would get, make sure that me and the producer was, we had all of our creative moments before the clock started, you know, pre-production kind of stuff. Me and Chris would get in there and would, would hammer things out and talk about what we hear here and hear there, you know, and, and man, Chris could, he's just such a good guy, you know, he's going on to work now with Taylor Swift. So he's the best of the best. And to learn from him how a studio was supposed to operate was again, very, I'm very lucky and very blessed that I got to, to do all that work under Chris to see how he worked. Every studio that I went in after that, that structure that was there, it just sort of, you know, it becomes commonplace. It's not, it's not out of the ordinary, but if you do the pre-production, don't get me wrong, freedom to just have a group come in and just have a day in the studio with everybody just able to do what they want to do. And I can't say that I've ever been a part of something like that. I think of Kings of Leon that comes to mind when I think about that and how they went and rented a place for a month or so and set up shop and recorded the whole record right there. And we've always talked about doing that. My brother and I just going and renting a place and setting a studio up and just recording the whole record, you know, just the way we want it, no time limits or nothing like that. So I, I would imagine there's a lot of freedom in that to somebody who's been used to working on deadlines and, structure I, that could probably be a little uh, a little anxiety I, I would imagine but uh i couldn't really speak to the freedom that that presents i've never really done that before so in your case when you're doing pre-production beforehand like that what's that process like for you you know so the guys in my band when they for instance when i, when I brought them in we have already been playing some of the songs live and, you know in front of people so so there wasn't really much creativity we had to add to some, but then there was one or two where they never even heard before. It's new to them, it's new to me. So we, so we'll just take a day and we'll just sit there and work it out. If something sounds good, I'll tell them. And if something don't sound good, I'll tell them. <laughs> and how does that go over? Well, sometimes not so good. <laughs> uh, my likes me tell them what to do. So. All right, sir. Well. I don't want to end our conversation without taking a deeper dive into The Devil. The Devil, is a, it's an emotional song. It seems to have a lot of ups, downs, and it has more of a, a message that you seem to try to convey. Can you tell me how that song was written? Sometimes the reason you write a song and what that song stands for when it's done can be two different things. That song... Me and Isaac Moore from the Wilson Brothers Band started writing that song. He was hanging out at the studio one day. And I had just gone, or I was in the process of a divorce. You know, I think the divorce was final. But, you know, here we are. The Wilson Brothers, you know, were traveling all over the country doing radio tours. And number one, and, and I'm recently divorced. I, I, I haven't even had time to grieve yet. And it was tough. It was real tough because you got to think my dream has always been to do what we were out there doing. 
So I was, my soul was full when it comes to that. But at the same time, I was so empty because, you know, divorce is tough. Uh, if, you, if you've never experienced divorce, I wouldn't wish it on nobody, but divorce can be very tough. And so I was so twisted. And, and the devil had a lot of opportunities to come in and to make bad decisions and stuff like that. So I knew that I was vulnerable. And, you know, we wrote the song based on that, you know, don't come around here no more. Devil. I, I, I mean, it, it's in those tough times that I don't know. You have to, you got to believe in something, you know, because we can't do something that's on our own. That's how the song come about. But that was a couple of years ago when we wrote it. When it came time to record it, I had met a, a movie producer uh, through Kyle Sailors. Uh, he introduced me to a guy named Kyle Smithson. And Kyle Smithson. He produced the video for you. He did. He was the director and producer of the video. He, he, uh, he has a story that you know can change a lot of people's lives and, and has. He was an addict, you know, living in L.A. Uh, this is not me saying this, but he, he would say that he was a trust fund baby type, you know. Uh, never had the, a lot of responsibility. So, you know, you combine all those elements together. It's, it's easy to see how the devil can grab somebody and pull them down and have them run in, in the wrong direction of their morals, I guess you can say. But he overcome all those challenges. And then when he heard the devil for the first time, he said it spoke to him. So that's the, the mission of that song began the first day we started shooting the video for it. We knew that what the video was going to be about. The song touched Kyle and, and we worked, worked it out. And uh, he, like I said, he put the, the whole video together. We, we timed it uh, on purpose and we, you know, did a real big community drive to bring awareness to suicide. To a lot of people in those vulnerable moments when a lot of things is going wrong, it's easy to think about, well, wouldn't it be better if this happened? Or, or, so we got to meet people and talk stories of suicide and the people who was near, you know, at that point of pulling the trigger and change, you know, change their mind or something happened and they're still here. So that's what the song means today. When, when I think of the devil, I think of, you know, suicide awareness. But when we wrote the song, it was written for those dark moments that we're, we're experiencing. So that's the evolution of a song, I guess you could say. So the, the video conveys that message, and it shows somebody who's contemplating suicide. Is that a message that you and Kyle were trying to achieve in the video itself? Absolutely, yeah. You know, the video starts out, he had lost a friend as a war veteran. Uh, they were at the graveyard burying his friend, and he, he couldn't, he just couldn't handle it. His character couldn't handle it. So he turned to drinking, and that led to other things and other things going wrong. And you know, finally, when you, when you just get down to the bottom and you're, you just quit falling, but it's on your way down to the bottom that you're most vulnerable. He's had a lot of experience with, with his family, with suicide, and friends. So it was very important to him. It was very important to me as well. First video that we did as Wilson Brothers was a video for It All Was Good From Here, which which debuted at number one. But the assistant director to that film was a good friend of ours. And not long after that, she decided to 
to move forward with that. And that was that's tough on us all. We, we we all had to deal with that for a little while. So so I think of her a lot when I think of the devil. But yes, it, that's the message that we wanted to we wanted to get out because we feel like a lot of people need to hear that message. A lot of a lot of people didn't have to deal with suicide. No, I see that. Matter of fact, Nashville just lost somebody to suicide recently. It's hard hit to all of us. And I've seen others struggle with it. So it's not a subject that I take lightly. So when you're working with such a serious matter in the the video, and not to take away from the song itself, but the video shows a lot of imagery in the video, whether it be the scene at the cemetery you were talking about, or it could be the the moment of contemplating suicide, and then just the special effects. So whose idea was it for the special effects, and how did you go about generating those? Well, Kyle, Kyle Smithson, I mentioned to him that I wanted a piano on fire. Could we do it? And did he do it? He did it, you know. Uh, he had a baby grand piano. A lot of us had to carry this thing through the woods onto a bridge. He made it happen. I put it that way, but... Uncle Conley Wilson out of Oklahoma was a special effects uh, supervisor for the video. And meeting him was like meeting your long lost cousin that you hadn't seen in years. He just a down to earth guy, had such a great time. But, but he was so good. He was so good with that fire that he had that fire on that piano. And when we got done, that piano never looked like it had been touched with a flame. It was still just as good as it was when we started. That's funny. But most of most of the video was Kyle Smith, you know. I, I try not to I try not to get in the way of somebody creative. When somebody is good at what they do and they know what they want to do, then I, I think that's that's times I like to just take a step back and let that happen. And this video is one of them. I don't know if I had a lot of input on the video other than I just wanted the interpretation of what, what the song was saying to be revealed. Kyle pretty much did he did what he did he does and he did it so well. Well, the video is very good, and he did a great job. Let's take a, a step back, though, to the song. You mentioned earlier about the choir that came in and sang at the end, which is my wife's favorite part of the song, by the way. But let's talk about the other musicians. Who laid down the foundation for you? Taj London is the leader of the the choir. I had met Miss Judy, who owns the Potter Room Studios. I had just met her a few months before we cut the devil. And she showed me her studio. And it's a historic studio right there on Music Row. Yep. I think Alabama's cut there. Kenny Chesney, a lot of, a lot of big names have, have recorded there. But, you know, her husband had passed away within the last couple of years. And she didn't want the studio just to go to, just to be forgotten about, you know, because her and her husband still owned it. And uh, so she was on the initiative to get that studio back you know, to where it, it had its its name and people recording there, and I wanted to help. So when this opportunity came up to, to record this choir, immediately I wanted to record it at the Quarter Room Studios. So my bass player introduced me to Ty, Ty's London. He brought the choir in. They got to record it right there at the studio. And I told you I brought in Gabe Baker for the, for the cello. And the main track was one of the tracks we could have done in Muscle Shoals. So you got Jay Cott on the bass. You got Peter Keys playing the playing the keys. 
of course, my brother, who's on the track, and Eric Torres, who, who, who did the final production, is uh, on there doing backups and some guitar work, and maybe a few other things. But Let's get to the the basics. So let's get a little geeky on it a little bit. So when you recorded the basic tracks for the song, how many people recorded at one time? I think the most we had at one time would, would be four. Uh, I think at Fame, it was four. You got drums, bass, guitar, made a piano. Yeah. And then me, uh, we always do a scratch. So I play the acoustic and do a scratch every track so so the, at, at the most we had at one time would be five of us including me and then we do all the overdubs separately you know we'll save a day for that we'll have fixes that we messed up we'll come in and we'll fix them and then anybody else that plays it a lot of people in nashville these days play multi-instruments so it's so it's easy to to just have a guy pull out a harmonica or a fiddle while he's there putting the bass guitar down or something you know but that comes later but yeah about four or five is the most we record at one time. So if you have four or five people recording at one time, does that help you convey the mood that you're trying to capture? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of my songs I write from an emotional perspective. My goal was to be a voice for the, the audience who otherwise might not have a voice. A lot of people experience the same things that I experience in my life but they might not have no way to express that or emote that. And if I don't do a good job at expressing that on the front end of it, then it won't be that way on the back end of it. So it's very important to do that. No, and it makes sense. And in a song like this where you're trying to create such emotion and you're trying to, to convey a feeling, what are you hoping that the listener takes away at the end of it all? Well, I guess that that would be song by song, case by case basis, but particularly of the devil. You know, there's a saying at the end of that Kyle put on there. I think it says, if we can save just one life, then everything that we've done is worth it. So we all have ups and downs in life. We all make mistakes. We all have to get back up and go again. The, the, the thing about a bad day is that we've overcome every one of them. None of them have stopped us yet. I guess a message of hope, just to know that there's people out there that feel a certain way, let them know that they're not alone. You know, I don't care who you are, where you come from, you feel all those emotions as well. And some people don't realize that. Some, you know, they feel like they're all alone. So if we can touch those people, make them feel like they're like we feel, but it's going to be okay. Then you know that's that's the most important thing I think we're trying to put out for that. I know the the last few years have been rough, but have you had a chance to play this song live yet? Just acoustically, I get a request for it everywhere I go. So so I always play it acoustically, but we. I have not yet played it with a full band, and I'm looking forward to the day I can make that happen. The song is so emotional. Do you have any troubles playing it live? I I haven't yet, but I won't say that that won't happen because I've been I wrote a song about my two daughters, 
the songs called It's Okay to Cry. I don't play it out much, but every now and then some of my, you know, uh, true fans uh, request something like that, some off. And uh, every now and then a song will get me. And you just, it's okay. I can imagine in a song like this where if you do get to perform it with a band and even with the choir, the moment that choir kicks in, that particular point in the song could probably be a tough one to try to finish from that point on. Yeah. And there, it could, it, there's that potential. There's also potential that it could be glorious. You know, I think when the choir kicks in, I, I think what would be so hard for me to do is maybe not so much the, the words and the emotions of the song, but just the, how good the choir sounds. That might be the reason that I might forget a word or two, you know, because all those parts are carefully crafted and I'm so proud of them. And to hear them live for the first time is going to be pretty spectacular. So if I forget a word, I, I, it would probably be because of that. <laughs> how much feedback on the song have you had so far? Uh, tremendous amount. Just on YouTube alone, I've had people just sharing their life, you know, strangers. That's what music does. It brings people together. And once again, makes people, if you do, do it right, you portray that message right, then those people that don't have to feel alone anymore. And just reading the comments on the devil on YouTube, it's uh, people sharing some of the most intimate personal stories they feel that comfortable doing that, listening to this song. So my hope is that even help with their healing, you know. So has anybody reached out to you directly? Yes, quite a few. I had a young lady that had already attempted suicide twice. And she had made her mind up to do it again this time. She had it planned out, knew what she was going to do, and she had a new baby. Her baby was less than a year old, but the song spoke to her in a way that it made her think about that baby more than herself for the first time. She ended up not even attempting it, and I spent quite a bit of time with her, learning her story, and... uh that's just one example. I've had, I've had several, several people that that reached out to me that touched me, made me a better person, because listening to them and what they went through. One of those guys I became real good friends with. A guy reached out to me, and his story is one of the most bizarre stories I've ever heard. I mean, it has, it has to do with so many, so many things that you can't even imagine. And uh, he had a bullet in his gun, and his gun was caught, and he had the gun to his head, and he pulled the trigger. But the gun didn't fire, it misfire. He felt something in that moment when that bullet didn't go off. They decided that he wasn't going to do it. He knew then he was here for a purpose. And when people come to me and tell me their stories about stuff like that, I, I can't imagine how dark of a place you have to be in to want to end your life because I love life. You know, I love living. I love, it. but 
you realize that something that might be significant to you, to me, to somebody else might not be something significant. And I think we could all, all could do a better job at communicating, you know, the, the more that technology advances, the less we have personal communication with each other. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, so just talking to somebody is, is good. But, but man, they touch my life. They, they tell me how much my song has meant to them, but I don't think they know that they're the blessing because what they do to me, that's what gets me through. No, that's awesome. I can, I can only imagine how it feels, especially that it's your song, something that came from you and you're helping other people. Before we um, call it a night here, we do something called Unsung Heroes. Is there anybody that's worked for you or helped you behind the scenes that you might want to shine some spotlight on? You know, I, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to a lot of people if I did just name one or two names because there's so many. There's, I rely on the support of so many. So Brenda Willis, my old manager, she she was such a blessing to me. And, you know, some of the people that support me, whether it be emotionally or some of them, you know, monetarily. But I think I think what really shined is, you know, I've been down this year. I got real sick at Christmas. I've never had been as sick as I was. I've never had to cancel a show due to sickness. And I had to cancel a whole month of shows. And some of those days where I was down, what kept me going is is the people that still believe in me, that some of the fans that that you wouldn't never anticipate doing this for you. But, you know, I, I'd get stuff delivered to my house, you know, groceries because people knew that because my, they knew that I was sick and I was struggling. And, uh, you know, if anything I've ever done in my life was done right, some of the people that, I've, that I call friends is, is that one right thing because I, I've got a lot of them. So those are the unsung heroes to me. That's great. Any advice for people who are up-and-coming songwriters? Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> no, that's a joke. I told Caitlin Croker that. Caitlin Croker, we just got, she just got a record deal here recently. But 17 years old, she moved to town. and uh, She's a phenomenal singer. I love working with her. I've been working with her now for over a year. But first thing she asked me was, what advice would I have to give her? And I'm like, I think you should just quit right now. And we've always laughed at that. So, but you know, I think the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody, you just got to be a good person. Being a good person will take them further in life than most anything else will. What's next for Chad Wilson? Oh, you know, we got this record done. So, so getting it out is going to be the biggest thing. Starting to get a lot of dates coming in for, for this year, and I'm excited about that. But I think I'm most excited about is. Just found out maybe 30 minutes before we started live here tonight that an artist that I wrote with this past year a few times, Warren Garrett, we wrote a song called Frame, and uh, he just released it maybe a month or two ago. Just found out today, just 30 minutes ago before we started, that that song is a semifinalist for the American Songwriter uh, Song of the Year Award. So I'm excited about that. I ain't, had, I ain't talked to him yet, you know, so I plan on calling him. When we get done and uh, just get this record out, you know, Jay, I put so much into it. I, I put my heart, I put my soul, 
I put everything that I've got into this, and I feel so good about it. Well, we are excited to hear it. Chad, sir, do you have any final words you'd like to leave us with? Well, Jay, I sure appreciate you having me on the show today. And uh, I appreciate the support you give of the devil and of my career. We've been friends for a while. I appreciate that. Yeah, if you can, y'all go check the devil out. The video's out on YouTube at Chad Wilson Music. And, and stay tuned for the whole album coming pretty soon. Now that was awesome. I loved hearing about Chad's journey through songwriting and how his music has made a difference to so many. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did and help me give a big thanks to Chad for joining us this week and sharing his stories. And thank you for taking the time to hang with me here. I really do appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can do just that and find links to everything mentioned in today's episode, including an uncut and uncensored live recording over at jfranzi.com slash episode five. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives, your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.